afternoon. Okay, so yeah, as Kevin said, we've been uh, working our way through this foundations series. This is the, the ninth session that we're doing today. My, my first one, as he said, and uh, yeah, the church fellowship and worship and, um, you know, following on from Rob's teaching last week on prayer, uh, we're looking at another sort of essential area in the believer's life today, and that's the church. Um, I'm going to look at, what, we're going to look at what the church is, what it isn't, and then we're going to specifically focus a lot on fellowship and worship and, you know, how those two things should be so essential in the lives of a believer and of the church. Um, so let me just quickly open in prayer before we uh, get into God's word. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this time today, Lord, where we can just learn about these essential foundations of our faith, Lord, and the church that you have instituted, Lord, that we are a part of, and how foundational it is in our lives, and in the lives of our nation, uh, in the, the role it plays in our nation, Lord, and how we should stand strong for your truths and and we'll just learn today, Lord, hopefully, and be encouraged that we are one unified body in Christ, Lord, and we're here to serve and love you and each other. I just pray that through this study we would see how important that is and we would just uh, be encouraged and edified by what you have to say today, Lord. I just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to start by you know, study on the church. I thought I'd start by having a look at what is the church. Um, and what the church is, you know, and as I think Kevin mentioned earlier, and a lot of people think of church, especially sort of non-believers and maybe even some believers, they do think of a of a building, a church building as being a church, and you can drive around Cardiff or the UK or anywhere really, and pretty much any village you drive through, you'll see a church or several church villages, some old traditional church buildings, many of which sadly might be empty or in disrepair or being sold for development and you know, while that is obviously very sad to see, and it is indicative of sort of the spiritual state of our nation to an extent, um, we must remember that that's not the church. They are just buildings, ultimately. Um, you know, the church, church, you know, we say on a Sunday, we're coming to church, and, you know, as we are, we're here now, gathering together to, you know, worship the Lord in song, study his word, and come together in fellowship. And again, as, you know, what this is, obviously such an important thing that we do every week and it's such a blessing to do but again this is an activity of the church this isn't church you know this the church itself is the body of believers um you know gathering together today it's part of what the church does not what the church is um and paul when towards the end of his letter to the romans in romans 16 5 when he's referring to priscilla and aquila he says to likewise greet the church that is in their house you know, the church was in their house. It was the body of believers that were gathering and meeting and being taught God's word. And, and you know, the church is the people. And that's the important thing to remember. You know, ultimately, everyone who confesses that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, is a born-again believer and is sealed by the Holy Spirit, as Mark taught on a couple of weeks ago, are all part of the true church of Christ. That's, that's you know, us in this room that are true born-again believers and every other believer around the world. We're all part of the church and you know, what you can call the universal church of Christ. And, you know, we're one large family, not just in this room, but we should be just as comfortable meeting someone who's a believer that we've never met before. Um, and then we've all got one common ruler and one head, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Colossians 1.18 says, And he, which is talking of Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You know, it is Jesus who rules the church, and rightly so. You know, if, uh, if it wasn't for his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to heaven, there would be no church, and none of us would be reconciled to God. So he is the head of the church. And you know, whilst God does, as it's clear in Scripture, appoint um, shepherds to oversee the church and teach the church God's word, uh, you know, if there's any man that comes and claims to rule over the church or to be the A or the mediator between the church and God, then you know, the Pope being, I guess, an obvious example that comes to mind of that. Um, they speak heresy, ultimately. Christ is the only mediator between the church and God. Um, and on that point, just because an organization, if you want to call it that, refers to itself as a church, that certainly doesn't mean necessarily that that organization or the people who are part of it are part of the true church that we've just, we've just talked about. Um, take the Mormon religion or cult as an example of that. You know, you may or may, not, may or may not know that the full name of their organization is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So, you know, not only do they refer to themselves as a church, but they also use Jesus' name in, in the title of, the, of who they are. But ultimately, their teachings are heretical and um, you know, they're deeply deceived. And sadly for them, they're not part of the true Church of Christ. Um, and coming back to the verse in Colossians that we just looked at, if you note that you know, Jesus is the head, but we're referred to as the body. The church is the body. And you know, as I was thinking about that, it's quite a great analogy, really. You think of the gruesome, you think of a body without a head. It's, <laughs> it's dead, ultimately. And that's what we would be. We'd be dead in our sins if we didn't have our head, if we didn't have Jesus. We'd be sentenced to eternal death and separation from God without our head. And think about what the body does. You know, it not only functions, carries out the necessary functions to survive, you know, breathing, eating, drinking, but also the functions that um, help it to grow and to stay healthy, you know, exercising, eating the right things, those sorts of things. And likewise, the church will only survive, will only grow, will only be spiritually healthy when it functions and acts as it should. And that should revolve around prayer, God's word, worship and fellowship. Those things are essential to a healthy and growing church that glorifies God. You know, and you know, sticking on the analogy, how does the body know what it should be doing? You know, how do my lungs know to breathe every few seconds? How does my arm know to lift up in the air when I want it to? It's through our amazing God-designed brains or our head. And that's the same for the church. We have a head that instructs us and tells us what to do and how we should live and how, and how we should... Um, dictate every area of our lives, you know, through Jesus's teachings that we have in our Bible. And, you know, Jesus is, as our head is one member of the Trinity through which we have the Holy Word of God that tells us how to live. You know, the Father's given us the Word. We have the Holy Spirit to help us understand and learn the Word. And it's through, and it, and it's through that we know how to act and how to live, both individually and as a church. And so that's sort of the universal church, if you want to call it that. And, but just as importantly, you know, as well as we all belong to the universal church, we should, or do, in this case, in our room here, belong to a local church fellowship. Um, you know, obviously it's practically impossible for the whole universal church to come together. 
at any point. So it's you know, the local churches are very important, and we saw the growth of those. If you read through Acts, you know, as the gospel started to spread, and as the church started to grow, that God, through faithful men such as Paul, established local bodies of believers in various cities and nations. And, uh, and a great example of a church body, which is what I'm going to focus probably the, the most of today's teaching on, is in Acts 2.42, which was part of our reading earlier that Kevin uh, read through. And I'm going to look at three sort of vital areas of the church through that. So Acts 2.42 reads, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And I wanted to start with the first point I wanted to look at was the teaching of God's word. I mean, I know the title of our of the uh, sermon today is the church fellowship and worship, but you know the teaching of God's word is so such a vital part of the church and so important. I couldn't just not not mention it and not talk about it. So that's where I want to start with. You know, it says they continue st- steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That is. The, you know, the teaching of the apostles. So who are the apostles that are referred to here? Well, we, we see that in Mark 3, 13 to 14. They were those chosen by Jesus. And it says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they may be with him and that he may send them out to preach. And uh, the New King James Version of the Bible uh, translation, which... Uh, I read him from doesn't have it but some translations yours might have it actually adds in brackets whom he named apostles in that verse as well so the 12 they were the apostles that Jesus chose to be his closest disciples to learn from him and to go out and teach what he was taught what he taught them and so you know if the apostles are those that were teaching what Jesus was teaching them then the apostles doctrine must be the teachings of Jesus and we have the wonderful benefit and blessing now to have that preserved in the New Testament in our Bibles. Um, you know, obviously not every author of the New Testament comes under that definition of an apostle. You, know, you can look at someone like James, Jesus' half-brother. You know, he didn't come to faith until after Jesus' uh, resurrection. But, you know, he and some of the others would have drawn their teachings from the apostles' teachings. And ultimately, this is God's inspired word, every word of it. So, um Everything they have written is God's word and is, uh, is that doctrine that we need to, to know and live our lives by. But, you know, yeah, the apostles' doctrine of Jesus' teachings might be the New Testament, but it's important to remember that we don't neglect our Old Testament either. You know? Ultimately, the whole Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament points to Jesus, and the New Testament is the revelation of Jesus. You know, and the Old Testament has so much important doctrine and so much we can learn from concerning you know, eschatology, you know, God's moral laws, his commands, God's character, his mercy and his judgment. They're all throughout the Old Testament. There's so much we can we can learn and and uh, take from the Old Testament. And ultimately, if it wasn't, um, I can't take the credit for this. I didn't go counting, but apparently uh, uh, it's true. If you know, the Old Testament is quoted or referred to more than 800 times in the New Testament. So... If it was irrelevant or not uh, not required anymore, as a lot will, uh, many people will try and tell you, then I don't think it would be uh, quoted so often in the New Testament. So it's it's so important that we do not neglect any part of Scripture. 
And I think it's also significant in this first part of Acts 2.42, it says that they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. You know, it doesn't say that the church, you know, they considered the Apostles' Doctrine now and then, whenever they could fit it in their busy lives or fit in it around their busy schedules, but they were steadfast in it. And the sort of the Greek root word for steadfast that we have here is, I'll try and butcher it, is pros kartereo, which means to persevere, you know, to be diligent, to adhere closely to. You know, so you know, God's word and his, dic- and his teachings dictated their way of life, ultimately. You know, it's, it says they were in the, do- in the apostles' doctrine, so it gives the idea they were really immersed in the teachings of the apostles, and it was a, a priority, or the priority, in the life of the church, not only to know it, but to live it out as well, and that should be the same for us today. And um, so, and, and in relation to local church, I touched on it earlier, and we saw through our acts that the local churches did appoint um, elders and leaders to sort of oversee and teach the flock. Um, you know, that's how a local church should be structured today, uh, with an eldership that's sort of responsible for the teaching of God's word and for the spiritual well-being of the flock. And you know, if you look at our own leadership in our small body of believers here, you know. All the elders are involved some way in teaching the flock in various ministries through the week or on a Sunday, as well as being involved in discipleship of, in others' lives. And ultimately, it says in Hebrews 13, 17, to watch out for your souls. And that's what the uh, eldership is appointed to do. But the reason I mention it, though, is that it's not solely the responsibility of the pastor or of the, the elders and the church leaders to teach God's word. You know, Every believer is individually responsible for their own study of God's word. You don't just come on a Sunday to study God's word. It should be a priority in all of our lives to make time, to make our own time to study the Bible for ourselves. And that's not just reading it, as important as reading the Bible is. It's more than just reading it. It's setting aside time to truly study God's word. You know, that means reading sound commentaries to go with it or, you know, listening to other sermons and expository teaching. But it is very important and we need to be like the Bereans that we see described in Acts 17:11, And it says, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And that's what we should do. We should be searching the scriptures daily and really receiving the word you know, in our hearts. I think Mark, you might recall if you were here a couple of weeks back, asked a very great and convicting closing question in his sermon when he was teaching on the Holy Spirit regarding how much time do we invest in God in our lives. Um, you know, we'll often say our schedules are, are too busy and you know, we just can't find the time most days or some days to study God's word. And, but you know, I, I think, to be honest, that's simply not true. Um, you know, that, I don't know, Probably might, some of you might think it's starting to come across a bit legalistic or righteous now. That's honestly not how I'm meant to be sounding. But, you know, the sort of half hour or hour or whatever it might be that we all find ourselves scrolling on our phone or on social media or whatever it might be, we could be using that time to study God's word or in prayer or whatever it might be. Or, you know, the two hours of TV that we watch in the evening to relax and de-stress after a long, hard day, you know, spend one hour watching TV and spend the other in the word. You know, it's... if. We really do have time to say God's word if we want to. And we'll, I'm sure we can all say in our own hearts, we will make the time to prioritize whatever we want to prioritize in our lives. 
And if that's God's if that's God's word, then we will prioritize it. I'm not saying we'll all find an hour or two hours every single day to do it, but it should be a priority in our lives, and we shouldn't be fitting it into our lives. Our lives should be fitting around it and fitting around the Lord. Um, and on that note, uh, it seems to have, I'm talking generally, not, not, not specifically our church, but it may be relevant to our church to an extent as well, a bit of a sort of, I, I call it a YouTube culture, I guess you want to call it, where, you know, people do spend a lot of time on YouTube watching these various vid videos and listening to things that, you know, so-called biblical teachings or anywhere on social media for that matter. It might not just be on, on YouTube, but, um, and I'm sure there's some sound stuff on there. I'm, I'm not on YouTube myself, so I sound so old when I say that. I'm not on YouTube myself, but um, I don't really go on YouTube. But, um, you know, I'm sure there's some great stuff on there, obviously. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say there's not, but to me, it just seems a lot of the time when I see some of these clips and things that people have referred to, it tends to be people who maybe like the sound of their own voice a bit too much or maybe being controversial for the sake of gaining views and making a name for themselves, just stuff that's not always particularly helpful, I don't think, to be honest. And like I said, there might be some great stuff out there to watch and listen to, but I think if you are serious about God's word, then you know, rather than watch those things, get your Bible out, you know, and... Uh, you know, listen to, as I said earlier, listen to other sound expository teaching and, you know, things like Calvary Chapel Radio is one thing I'd mention. That's a wonderful resource, 24 hours a day of God, teaching God's word verse by verse through the Bible. I mean, that, you know, I would encourage you to invest in things like that instead. Um, here's to close on this section of God's word and why I wanted to mention it. It's just, it is so important both for us as believers and as the church is how we grow, is how we mature in our faith by knowing and studying God's word. And, and it's a key part of how we deepen our relationship with God. We can't grow in our, if we don't know God, we can't grow in our relationship with him. Um, you know, just like prayer, as, God, as Rob taught last week as well. And, you know, if through God's word we are growing in our knowledge and understanding of God and his character and his will for our lives, then ultimately we'll be able to better serve him and better obey him in our lives as a church and individually. And if we have that knowledge and understanding, we could share that with others in the church so they too can serve and obey him more effectively. And ultimately, if we are growing with the Lord, then as it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are becoming more Christ-like. It says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I mean, what could be more of a blessing as a church body and a church fellowship to become more Christ-like together as we love and serve him together? I think there's not much more of a, a blessing than that. And so that's why I want to turn God's word. And then coming on to our second of the three areas we're looking at is fellowship. It says in Acts 2.42 that we're sort of looking at, they continue steadfastly in the, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So I guess the first thing to have a look at to see is what is fellowship? You know, I think I was looking at it, I didn't really know how, how far to go into this. And there, there's so many elements of fellowship that are worthy of a, a study of their own. You know, things such as, you know, the fellowship that the Trinity has enjoyed with each other for all eternity. And the fellowship we enjoy with the Trinity. You know, Paul's final words in Second Corinthians are the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So that, you know, we enjoy a fellowship with the Trinity. And then there's the fellowship that Jesus has with the Father. 
you know, including, you know, how that dynamic worked when Jesus humbled himself as a man and came down to earth. You know, he, he never stepped out of the will of the Father in his time on earth. And, you know, and he agonizingly broke his fellowship with the Father temporarily when he hung on the cross for our sins. Um, and so there's so many elements of fellowship we could look at, but, you know, as it is a study on the church, you know, the element of fellowship I will be looking at and we will be looking at today is the fellowship we share with each other and how important that is. Um, in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 are probably some of the best known verses, you know, on, on fellowship and gathering. And it says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of, uh, of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, not extorting, sorry, (laughs) (laughs) exhorting one another, and so much more, so much the more as you see the day approaching. And the word, you know, the Greek word assembling there is episunagoge, which is, I guess, where the word synagogue probably comes from. And it means more of a formal assembling together or gathering, Um, more congregational, like what we're doing today. And the verse makes it, these verses make it clear why it's so important that we're to meet. It says to exhort one another and um, you know, to stir up love and good works. And, it's, and I think these verses are a clear command to meet. You know, I know we've talked about it before, but it's, it's why we may, as a church leadership, made a stand back in, you know, it feels like a lifetime ago now, back in the time of lockdown when the government were trying to force churches to close. That's why we... We made a, a stand, and we didn't, yeah, to, to stay open, you know. Ultimately, there was a conflict between what I would say are God's clear instructions here and what we were being told to do. And, you know, Scripture is clear we are to obey government and the law of the land, but when there is a conflict between God's law and man's law, ultimately God's law does prevail. Um, but something I do, I really do want to emphasize in, when we're looking at fellowship is while you know, it's such, it is a blessing to come together every Sunday you know, and, uh, and worship together and uh, get taught God's word. This should never be the primary place where we get our fellowship and where we meet with one another. Um, you know, it, gathering together for what is really quite a brief amount of time to see each other and speak to each other should just increase our desire to want to meet with each other outside of a, of a Sunday gathering and outside of the, of the church, the sort of formal church gathering. Um, you know, we can't be intimately involved in each other's lives and to support each other and disciple each other and minister to each other if we're just seeing each other briefly on a Sunday afternoon. It's just not possible. Um, just to throw another Greek word in there that I'm, I'm enjoying pronouncing today, the Greek word for fellowship in Acts 2.42. This is an easier one. It's koinonia. And, you know, it means to be sort of a community together and to participate together. And, you know, it essentially means we do things, we do life together. That's what the sh- church should be doing. You know, I, I, was guil- I used to be guilty of it sort of earlier on in my Christian life and my, ch- in my, in my walk with the Lord where I would refer to my sort of church friends, you know, and, and a church life, and then there's the rest of my life. And but that's, not, that's not how it should be at all. The church is our, is our lives, you know. You know? And if we are believers and we're not involved in the church or the lives of our fellow believers a lot or at all, then ultimately I'd say you need to review your priorities, you know, and you know, through the week, those of us who work or maybe are students or whatever it may be, and maybe spend a lot of time in a secular environment and spend a lot of time with non-believers, that should only increase our desire for fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And 
you know, to be honest, there's not uh, not much I look forward to more than when I know my sort of diary for the weekend is packed full of, you know, fellowship of our church family. Just, you know, we had a wonderful time yesterday at our church barbecue. Um, it's just great to spend time in fellowship with our with our with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's it's where we should feel our most comfortable and most natural is with each other. And on that note, it, I think it's important to know you can't get true true fellowship that we're talking about here with uh, with non-believers. Um, it's not to say you can't have unbelieving friends, obviously, and those relationships are a great opportunity to share your faith. Um, you know, to be a witness to them by how you live, how you speak, the choices you make, and ultimately to show the life-changing power of Christ in your life. They should see that sanctification and growth in your life, and and wonder what could be <laughs> what could be the cause of that. And it's a great opportunity to share that and and talk about that. But there does need to be a lot of discernment when it comes to approaching these relationships. Um, they can't be as intimate and as fulfilling as our friendships of our, and fellowship with our, our believers, our fellow believers, because ultimately there's no bond in Christ there. Um, and Paul writes quite strongly in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 15, he says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? You know, ultimately, fellowship and friendships is built on having things in common. And our fellowship is founded on, on our love for God and on the cross. But, you know, if, if a relationship isn't built on Christ as its, as its foundation, then it must be built on something else. Um, you know, and ultimately, non-believers, their desires are going to be different from believers, what they want to do, you know, how they want to act, what they want to do. And as nice as people can be, Ultimately, they are fallen sinners and they don't have Christ in their lives. And if that relationship isn't allowing you to shine the light of the gospel into their lives, but it's, then it's going to have the opposite effect. And it's going to dull the light of your life and bring temptations and sin into your life. And if that's the case, those relationships should be considered whether they need to be cut short, as harsh as it sounds. But you know, we really need to exercise discernment especially when it comes to the relationships we have in our lives and uh, with fellow believers being the priority, ultimately. And so that's sort of what fellowship is, I guess. And so what should fellowship look like? I think we should look at. I think the first thing I'd say is fellowship isn't just about socializing, you know? Socializing and enjoying each other's company again, like yesterday as an example, is a wonderful and important part of fellowship but fellowship is about far more than just socializing and enjoying each other's company. And I just wanted to look at a few elements of fellowship that I think are very important. Um, the first one being prayer. I know you might wonder why I'm saying prayer, but and I, I, won't, mention, I won't go on it too deeply because Rob taught excellently on prayer last week. But um, I think it should be an important and significant part of our fellowship and our meeting together. You know, we try and emphasize the importance of prayer in our Sunday services. There's, as you may or may not know, we have our prayer meeting before a service uh, as Charles faithfully leads in the front uh, hall at half past two on a, on a Sunday. And if you didn't know, or well, now you all know, then I'd encourage you to go along to that if you can. It's so important to be praying for our gathering together. Um, you know, we often have corporate prayer in our, in our um, focus times on a Sunday quite often and we'll have prayer throughout the service. And prayer is so important and 
But it isn't reserved for our formal gatherings on a Sunday. It's not just reserved for our quiet time with the Lord at home either or wherever, you, wherever you're praying. It's, it should also be a big part of our fellowship and gathering together, having, you know, praying together. It should be an, an intimate part of our fellowship and our gathering together. And another element of fellowship that's important is unity. I just wanted to look at some scriptures that refer to the unity that we should, uh, that we should share together. First one being 1 Corinthians 1.10, where it says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You know, so what's Paul telling us that we should be united in? It's not in our sort of common interests or our hobbies. It's in doctrine and in our faith. That's what we should be united in. You know, there are room for disagreements, I guess, and debates on some things, but on the essentials of the faith, we should be united. Um, that's important not only for our individual relationships with each other, but also for this church as a whole. You know, as a church, we need to stand strong against the tide or uh, probably tsunami is a better word at the moment of sort of false doctrine and false religion that's coming our way and you know infiltrating our nation and is rampant in our world and is contrary to God's truth and we need to stand up against these things and defend God's truth as a church but we can only do that if we are united and that's where the church is falling down uh, massively at the moment there's a lot of disunity in the church and and we just it's so important that we are united together so we can stand up for God's truth and another verse is Ephesians 4 2 to 3 which says with all lowliness and gentleness with long suffering bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace you know in verse 3 it says that we must endeavor to maintain unity you know which suggests it's going to take diligence and hard work and and it does and you know why because you know in our natural flesh in our state we're all wretched fallen selfish prideful sinners <laughs> and uh, who react badly to things when they don't go our way ultimately and so it is hard work to maintain that unity but you know verse 2 here tells us how we do that you know with all lowliness and gentleness and long suffering bearing with one another you know it takes humility and it takes patience to maintain unity um, and what you, know, you may notice a link what lowliness gentleness long suffering they all fruit of the spirit you know to maintain unity we need the holy spirit if we're walking in the flesh we won't be united but in the spirit we will be and as a church we need to be filled with the spirit in order to be in order to be uh, maintaining that unity that's so important and one more verse on unity is Philippians 2:14, which says, "Do all things without complaining and disputing." You know, Paul writes all things, so we can include fellowship within that there. And um, again, as I just said, you know, we can often get into healthy debates about all manner of things, theology or our views on certain things in the world. And you know, but when those things do go past being beneficial, they can turn into disputes and complaining about one another and. So at that point, we need to sort of put our pride and opinions to one side and maintain unity. Um, I'm not saying if we're standing up for the truth, we should stop doing so, but there comes a point where we've got to use discernment and maybe just take a step back in certain situations. And the final area I wanted to look at in terms of um, fellowship and what's important is to minister to one another, to be ministering to each other. And I'll have a look at a few 
verses of, of scripture relating to this, but there's two sort of points I wanted to make beforehand on this. And firstly, as I said earlier about God's word, and I'm just trying to get rid of all responsibility for Kevin and, and the elders here, but it's not just a responsibility of the pastor and the elders to be ministering to the saints. Again, that is all our responsibilities, to be looking out for the practical needs, the physical needs, the spiritual needs for everyone in the church body. It's for everyone. It's everyone's responsibility to do that. And secondly, I would also strongly encourage you to have what I would call a accountability or discipleship partner within the church. Um, you know, someone you can get together with regularly to study God's word, to pray together, and just to be open and honest with one another and to hold each other accountable. Um, you know, I'd say if you, if you don't think you're at a place yet where you could disciple someone else or ready to lead a study of God's word, then seek someone more mature in the faith who is at that place where they could take the lead in those things. Or if you are more mature in the faith and you're not discipling somebody else, I would encourage you to seek opportunities to do so. It's so important to be there for one another. And, you know, however mature or new in the faith, all of us are. You know, I don't think any of us could say we don't need accountability and prayer and studying God's word. We all need that. And so if we just look at some verses on this, Romans 14, 19 says, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. You know, what I've just talked about then, what a great way to edify one another by holding each other accountable, praying together and just being open and honest with one another. And James 5.16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of, the right, of a righteous man avails much. You know, we've already talked about how prayer is so important among the church. And it's also important that we pray for one another as well. That's just as important. And you know, I mentioned earlier about how we prioritize our time. And I'll, you know, I'll be just as blunt with this. Everyone has the time to pray for one another. There's no excuse. We all have time to pray for one another. And it's so important that we do. And if we don't know what we should be praying for one another, then we're probably not as involved in each other's lives as we need to be. And then Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul sort of outlines two choices for us here. Do we take the sinful and selfish route where we choose to serve our own desires and the desires of the flesh or do we choose the serving route where we put others before ourselves and we serve one another and we're not to do that with a heavy heart but we're to do that with love for one another the love that should reflect the love that christ has for us you know christ demonstrated the ultimate love you know as, as we can read in romans where it says while we were still sinners christ died for us you know, if Christ can do that for us, I'm sure we can give up a few of our comforts and a bit of our time to meet the needs of, of others. It's the least we can do, really. And again, it's about being sacrificial and just showing that love to one another. And as Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. You know, love should really be the driving force behind everything we do. As I'm coming up to sort of towards the end of looking at fellowship, it's just a little bit further on in Acts, in Acts 2, 44 to 47. I think it gives a wonderful picture of how fellowship should look as we uh, live our lives together, united 
as the body of Christ. And it was part of what Kevin uh, read earlier as well. It says, now all who believed were together and, all, and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as, every, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And, you know, and in these verses, you can see the unity we've talked about. It says all who believed were together and had all things in common. You know, we can see that they did minister to each other and meet, the need, and meet the needs of each other. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them, among, divided them among all as anyone had need. They placed priority on God's word. It says they continued daily in one accord in the temple. And ultimately, they had Christ at the center of it. It says they break in bread from house to house. And what is breaking bread is remembering what our Lord and Savior has done for us. And just a final thing on fellowship that... Um, really is that, you know, our fellowship here on earth, as wonderful as it is, it is tainted by sin. But we do have a fellowship to come with each other and with the Lord that shall be perfect and eternal. And, it, and we, read, we can read part of that in Revelation 22, 3 to 5. which says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants, which is us, shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Here shall be, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. I mean, now as, as much as I enjoy fellowship with you guys, I think that's the time of fellowship I'm really looking forward to uh, most. With you all, of course. <laughs> uh, so then the final element of our, our study today is worship. Um, to come back to our, our sort of main verse, Acts 2.42, the final component, well, I say the final component, there is prayer at the end of that, but as I said, Rob covered off prayer fantastically last week, so I won't be going over that again, but it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread. You know, obviously breaking of bread, referring to communion, and I sort of link that with worship because you know communion is probably one of the most intimate and essential parts of our worship you know it's where we remember and give thanks for what our savior has done for us you know, and at the same time examining ourselves and restoring our, ourselves in our relationship with him you know it is a very important act of worship is the is um coming together in communion but i also i wanted to look at uh, john 423 uh, many of you will know this it says but the hour is coming and now is, and now is when true, the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. You know, we're to be true worshippers, and we're to do that, we're told, in spirit and truth. You know, but what does that actually mean, spirit and truth? Well, to worship in spirit means it should come from the heart. You know, our worship should be genuine, from a genuine love from the Lord and a desire to worship him it shouldn't be mechanical or out of obligation but we want to be worshiping to lift his name on high and bring in the glory he deserves you know and some people say that spirit here paul paul john sorry might be referring to the holy spirit and whether or not that's that is the case uh, the point is valid you know if any worship any of our worship for the lord isn't coming through and being directed by the holy spirit then it isn't genuine worship our worship should be done in spirit and through the Holy Spirit. And 
but it also needs to be done in truth. You know, and for our, you know, our worship needs to be properly informed. If, you know, if we don't know the God we're worshiping, who he is, what he's done for us, what his promises are for our lives, then how can we truly worship him? We need to know the truth to be able to worship the God of truth. You know, so if we worship in spirit but without truth, we're going to make it all about ourselves and it's not going to bring glory to God. And if we worship in truth but without spirit or the spirit, then ultimately it's joyless legalism. And again, it doesn't honor God. And um, I just want to, I haven't asked you yet, so I'm going to make you work. If you could turn in your Bibles to Psalm 95. The first six verses of Psalm 95, I just wanted to briefly look at. I think these verses are, are sort of demonstrate wonderfully how our worship should look. See, for this, Psalm 95, 1 to 6, and it reads, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the, for the, Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. I mean, what fantastic uh, uh, scripture that is. You know, we've got the first two verses which tell us how our worship should look. It should be joyful. It should be exuberant. We should be singing to the Lord, shouting joyfully to him, and as we give him thanks, the thanks and praise that he deserves. And then you've got the middle section there, verses 3 to 5, you know, why we worship him. You know, he created all things. He's greater than anything or anyone else. He deserves all the praise that we can give him. And verse 6 also reminds us of another element to our worship, and that's reverence. You know, we should have such humble gratitude for what the Lord has done for us in our lives that we're to kneel and bow down before the one who's created us and the one who holds our lives in his hands. There's to be such reverence in our worship. And then one thing I did want to briefly note as well is how we use the term worship when we're referring to worshiping God. You know, we, we often refer to it in terms of music, you know, worshiping the you know, through singing and worship and music, you know, we refer to our worship ministry and the worship team and, you know, nothing wrong with that as that ministry is leading the church in worship of the Lord, of course. But, you know, we just, we need to remember that worship is about far more than just music and singing, singing songs of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, you know. Our whole lives should be a living worship of God, ultimately. And um, on that note, because I thought I didn't really know how to approach this and I could have probably spent another hour on it, but um, what I'd done, I sort of put a list together of how, our, of how worship should look in our lives. And I'm sure when you see it, there'll be things you think are missing. But um, the purpose of it really is to just emphasize the nature of what our worship should be and how we are and how worshiping in spirit and truth should really look. Um, I put sort of a scripture reference beside each point as well, so you can jot those down, take a picture or, or not, whatever you wish. But um, I was just going to run through this list of how our worship should look, really. So, you know, we worship him. I've got this on, on the screen there. We worship him by obeying his will for our lives. We worship him by studying his word. We worship him by obeying and living out his word in our lives. We worship him in songs of praise and thanksgiving. 
We worship him in praise of praise and thanksgiving. We worship him by standing up for God's truth. We worship him by suffering persecution for our faith. We worship him by walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. We worship him by sharing the gospel and evangelizing to the lost. We worship him by loving others sacrificially. We worship him by putting Christ first in every decision we make, every word we speak, and every action we take. And ultimately, we worship him with our entire lives. And I just wanted to look at that verse I put next to that, that final point, Romans 12, 1 to 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, worshipping God with our entire being and our entire lives is our reasonable service. It's the very least we can do. You know, ultimately, worshipping worshiping God shouldn't be what we do, it should be who we are. Okay, Heavenly Father, I do just thank you, Lord, that we... We are able to worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. We're able to worship you through song, through studying your word, through living out your word, through everything we do in our lives, Lord. We thank you for the opportunities we have to worship you. We know you deserve to be worshipped. You are the only one who deserves to be worshipped, Lord. So just lay that on our hearts, Lord. When we, when we start focusing on too much on other things and idols creep into our lives, remind us, Lord, that it's only you that we should worship only you that we should bring glory and praise to lord so lord i thank you for this time now and uh, as we come to worship you through song one more time lord i just pray that your church here today lord will go away encouraged edified by the word that um, you have spoken today lord by your holy scriptures and we would just seek to worship you through everything we say and do lord in jesus name amen <laughs>